now as a forgiven and a beloved people. Let us hear our gospel reading for today. It is Palm Sunday, so this would be the moment where I encourage you to take advantage of the swords that you have been given and poke your neighbor. Just get it out of your system, because this was by far my favorite part of Palm Sunday as a kid. It's also why y'all have palm fronds, like a hand instead of the pokey stick ones, because I have also learned my lesson as a child and as a parent of three, who, yes, mom, are just like me. (laughs) And so let us, with joy, the joy of children, hear today's gospel reading for Palm Sunday. This is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. And I am reading from the Common English Bible Translation, but as always, I encourage you to follow along or hear this in the biblical language which best connects you with God. So once again, Matthew 21, 1 through 17, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and the cleansing of the temple. When they, Jesus and the disciples, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus gave two disciples a task. He said to them, go into the village over there, and as soon as you enter, you will find a donkey tied up with a colt with it. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that their master needs them. And he sent them off right away. Now this happened in order to fulfill what the prophet said. Say to daughter Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the donkey's offspring. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had ordered them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them, and then Jesus sat on them. Now a large crowd had spread their clothes on the road. And others cut palm branches off the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds in front of Jesus and behind him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds answered, It's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And then Jesus went into the temple, and he threw out all those who were selling and buying there. He pushed over the tables used for currency exchange and the very chairs of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it's written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a hideout for crooks. People who were blind and lame came to Jesus in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests 
and the legal experts saw the amazing things he was doing and heard the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David! They were angry. They said to Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, he answered. Haven't you read? From the mouths of babies and infants, you've arranged praise for yourself. And then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. These are the lessons of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to let you all in on a little secret. Today is Palm Sunday, if you didn't know. And it's a pretty big deal on our church calendar. It's not only a grand celebration, but it's also the moment in Jesus' ministry that set in motion the events of Holy Week. For those of us who practice Christianity, this is known as the Passion of Christ, the week where it all happens from start to finish. It's the celebration of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, which is what we celebrate today on Palm Sunday. And that does include the turning over of the tables and the healings and the miracles in the temple. Part of this week is also the celebration of the Last Supper and the giving of the commandment to love one another as we are loved and to serve as we have been served. That is Maundy Thursday from the Latin to mandate, to give a command on what to do. And then on Friday, we have the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus on Good Friday. The fear and anxiety and breathlessness of waiting on Holy Saturday. And then, of course, the triumph of life over death that we celebrate with resurrection on Easter Sunday. This is a sacred and holy time in our church life. And over the last few years, it's looked a lot different between the pandemic and fear. We've been celebrating it differently, but it's still a celebration that Death does not have the final say. Amen. And as we all know, even as things are different, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad. So let us take this time to celebrate this week together in its fullness. And I encourage you all to be present at all or some or as many of the services that you can this week to truly experience this journey of Holy Week together with renewed excitement and anticipation of what is to come. And so I encourage you today to live a life with a loud Hosanna as we begin our walk with Jesus today in this moment with celebration and with open hearts, minds, and spirits. Amen? Amen. Amen. Because as our text lays out for us, this is indeed a moment of glorious celebration. 
You can feel the excitement in these few lines. Jesus has finally arrived in Jerusalem. This is the place he has been journeying toward for some time now. The final destination of his ministry, literally and figuratively. This is it. This is Jerusalem, the city of prophets and prophecies. Jerusalem, the holiest of holy places for the followers of the Jewish faith, where prophets through the ages have spoken to the people of God, spoken of love, and prophesied the coming of a Messiah, a sacred, holy, anointed one, the one who will save them. That is what Hosanna means. Save us. This is Jerusalem, and here he is. And the people shout out as Jesus is recognized as that Messiah, the one who will save them. And with this welcome, Jesus and his disciples enter the gates triumphant. I am still trying to figure out how he rode both a donkey and a colt at the same time. But it's triumphant nonetheless. And he enters the gates with the cheers and the songs of his people. And on top of it, This is Jerusalem, the place where you go to celebrate Passover. This is the start of the week of the sacred Passover feast. The whole city is teeming with people coming into the city, preparing for the feast, preparing for the sacrifices, preparing to go to the temple for this most sacred of holidays. And this is where we enter into our own sacred observance of Holy Week, in Jerusalem, with an amazing display of welcome. But, but, amid the celebration and the excitement and the preparations, there is tension. Incredible tension amid the celebration because the Jewish people are not alone in their holy city. They are not alone. They haven't been alone in their place, in their homes for a very long time. There is a presence looming over the celebrants of Passover, a presence in the city that demands it not be ignored that makes itself known in places that it doesn't even belong in. It's a specter of oppression, an unhidden malice, because this is also Jerusalem, the city occupied by Rome. A city that has a very, very tentative peace between the Jewish people and the Roman Empire a peace that is dependent on the people behaving themselves and not causing trouble for the foreigners who have claimed their land as Romans. Like so much of what we read in the texts, there is this tension that is held between celebration and condemnation. 
This is an inside-out moment, beloveds. This is what we have been leading up to this whole Lenten season. This is an inside-out moment that is all tangled up on itself. Celebration on the outside. Tension and anxiety on the inside. Hosannas, save us on the outside while looking over your shoulder on the inside. A false Pax Romana, the Roman peace on the outside with tension caused by whispers of rebellion on the inside. And this moment in Jerusalem is full of tension indeed. And the tension in the city, it is palpable. You can feel it. Think, for those of us in the greater Boston area, think Boston Marathon Monday in the years following the bombings. Think Times Square on New Year's Eve after 9-11. Or any given school day lately, when we send our children, teachers, and school staff to a place that should be for learning, but we know has also been made a place of fear. That's the tension that you can feel in the city. The religious leaders and the legal experts of the time were unable to handle how folks were reacting to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, the whole city was shook up. Well, was it that they were unable or unwilling? Which is a sermon for another day. But those leaders, they knew something was about to happen. And as far as they were concerned, based on what they had seen before, this was not going to be anything good. They were unable to see any triumph or good in what was happening for a number of reasons, all of which, I believe, came from a place of fear. They were beside themselves. They were beside themselves with the way all of their attempts to discredit Jesus to convince the people he was not a prophet, that he was not the son of God, they were beside themselves with how miserably all of those attempts had failed. And they just could not understand how, no matter how hard they tried to force people to simmer down or to prove that Jesus was a fraud, it still seemed like the whole world was following him. And looking at it, today from the distance of a couple thousand years through our very comfortable Christian viewpoints right now, their reaction seems a little unreasonable, amen? amen. Why are they doing this? It's easy to cast the Jewish leaders and the legal experts as villains here, which I caution us to do because that has been done for centuries. And this casting of them as villains has resulted in an anti-Semitism or an anti-Jewish mentality that still 
follows us into our history today. It is far too easy to cast them as the villains. It is too easy to read today's scripture and say to ourselves, can't they just see? Can't they just see that he's come to liberate the people to bring life and proof that all people deserve to have their sacred worth recognized? Can't they just see that? But the reality is they're not the villains here. They aren't the empire. They are not the villains because they are the ones who are responsible for protecting their people. These are the protectors. And these are wild times. Our Christian traditions for millennia have taught us that those who objected to Jesus' message and very existence are the ones who are responsible for his death, but that is not true. This is a teaching that has caused untold harm to the people of the Jewish faith throughout time, and y'all knew I was going to go there, right? Like, you knew I was coming for this, because we are not out of Lent yet. Well, what am I talking about? Why? Why are they not the villains? Why is Rome the problem? Well, we have to remember that nothing ever occurs in a vacuum. And I think all of the history teachers we've ever had in our lives would agree with that. What was happening historically during this time in Christ's ministry and life is that the Romans were just the latest in a long line of occupiers and colonizers. And Jerusalem is full of people for Passover. And the Romans have had to deal with a number of religious zealots in the past, the recent past, within Jesus' lifetime, who have called themselves Messiah and have incited riots. And crucifixion, Well, that was Rome's favorite punishment. Blanket crucifixion, often. 50 to 100 bodies at a time. Crucified as a go-to punishment for insurgents that they do not consider worthy of a respectable death. In fact, things often get so bad during the holidays That soldiers, Roman soldiers, are in residence in the temple square. Imagine coming to church and discovering armed guards have started living in the sanctuary to keep us quiet. Soldiers are in residence in the very temple square. And the religious leaders have to go to the military, go to the Roman soldiers, and ask permission to enter the place where their ceremonial robes and sacred items are housed. They have to ask permission, which can be denied. Imagine what that's like. To have to ask your occupiers for permission to use the items that are needed to celebrate your highest 
holy days. There are people in our nation who don't have to imagine what that is like, for that is their reality today. But just imagine it. You have to ask for permission to celebrate, permission to get your candles, your altar space, your smells and bells, your very robes, an insult to injury. This celebration commemorates your people's deliverance from slavery at the hands of a foreign power. The Pharisees, the religious leaders and legal experts, they were the liaisons, the bridges between the empire and the people. They were the ones, whether they liked it or not, who had to wheel and deal to make this tentative peace, to make it possible for the people to observe Passover. And here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus with his pack of followers. And they don't come in through the back. Oh, no. They enter in the main gates. They enter in loud and rowdy. And they are giving Jesus not just any welcome, but a military hero's welcome. They are singing songs of liberation. They are praising him using a very politically charged language. They are calling him master and king, the one who comes in God's name, savior, all terms that are supposed to only be attributed to Caesar according to Roman law. This is not good. And the Pharisees are able to read the writing on the wall. They've been through this before. They know the danger that this holds for the people, for their way of life, for their very identity as Jews. And so in fear, they run out and they beg Jesus. They beg him to make the people behave, to calm them down, to not attract attention in case the Romans catch wind of this, and we know they have. And Jesus, who knew what he was doing, by the way, and I say that because when we read the gospel texts, especially Luke's gospel, for example, when we read Luke's account of the same moment, we read Jesus saying to them, I can't stop this. Even if I told them to stop, the very ground we walk on would still make noise, or as the biblical text says, the very stones would cry out. Because what is happening in that moment, he can't stop. He won't stop because it is that important. The truth will always find a way to get out, no matter how hard we try to keep it silent. The truth in John's gospel is the same. It seems that the whole world is following this Jesus guy. 
Look at all the people. The very city is stirred up. And it scares people. Fear is what brought the leaders to ask Christ to stop, to ask Jesus to stop. They were worried about their people. And fear, I believe, is what brought them to do what they felt they needed to do, which is what set everything in motion for the next week leading up to Good Friday. We know how the story ends, but they did not. All they knew was they needed to get this guy to stop because their people's lives were at stake. But Jesus would not stop. He would not stop giving that message of worth to the people, to us, even when his body was threatened. And that is why he rode in triumphant. Because you and you and you and you and you, knowing your worth was more important than his life. Knowing your value in the eyes of God was more important than simmering down and keeping the peace. It was more important that you hear the message of love and transformation in the face of empire. And so he comes in. He comes in and creates a real inside-out Lenten moment for the people and especially the religious leaders of Jerusalem. A moment of intense tension and fear, knowing what could happen and has happened when Rome has been challenged. Well, that, that was keeping them from being able to celebrate with the rest. That knowledge that the Pharisees had, they could not cry out Hosanna, perhaps as much as they wanted to, for fear of Rome. Fear and tension, in fact, have been leading them throughout this whole story, this whole Lenten period. Fear and tension have kept them from sharing in the liberation that Christ promises, a liberation and a freedom that comes with sharing the love of God, sharing the good news That when John the Baptist says the kingdom of God is at hand, it means that we have already been judged. The kingdom of God is here and you have been declared worthy. You are already worthy. No matter what the world tells you, you are. It's a freedom that they cannot share even though they know the news, that we are all loved deeply. And that if we accept that love and freedom for ourselves, we can then share that news with others. And that scares them and it scares Rome. And truly, this is not a scenario that has played out 2,000 years ago, but is still playing out in our own time. When so many of us, and yes, I am calling us 
out as Christians today. When so many of us don't want to make waves or cause tension, I am often guilty of that myself. When we don't want to make waves or cause tension, and so in our fear of making things uncomfortable, we become like the leaders of Jesus' time, and we refuse to call out what we see as wrong. But if we are taking our call as Christians seriously, that we are reflections of Jesus' light for the nations in the world today, shaking things up in the name of mercy and justice and love are exactly what we are meant to do. Like the stones, we are called to cry out. And so as this week unfolds, Jesus' boldness in the face of evil and injustice grows. He sees what's transpiring in Jerusalem and he boldly acts. He walks into the temple square and he calls out the hypocrisy. He calls out the temple leaders The ones who are claiming a message of God's love and equity come to the temple while we gatekeep, while we collaborate with those who oppress. And here comes Jesus, and he's turning over tables, and he's raising his voice. There have been works of art that have depicted him with a whip and a stick. He is raising his voice. He is making folks uncomfortable, and he is doing it knowing that this is not going to end well for him. But the fear and tension present in the places he will visit and the paths he will walk, they will not keep him from bringing his message. And again, it's a message and a promise of something better, something better than this world, something better that Rome could ever offer. A promise of wholeness, not predicated on earthly expectations, but possible through accepting the reality that we are all part of God's perfect creation. And that possibility That very possibility of what can happen when we live into that message is what we celebrate today in the sounds of hosannas, in the shouts of the people then and the people now. It's why we share the stories of Jesus. It's why we walk this Lenten path together to proclaim loudly in speech And indeed, that fear and tension will not overshadow God's promise of freedom and fullness. Not just in the next life, but in this life. So this week, let us enter the gates triumphant. Let us proclaim our hosannas loudly. Let us share our Lenten journeys and our stories of God-given, life-giving moments. Let us be like the stones who will still cry out. And even as there is tension, let us not live in fear. Let us not act in fear. Let us instead fully embrace the triumph that comes when we live into our truth, 
when we live into the truth of Jesus's message that we are all God's children, seeking salvation and wholeness, that God offers us a love and acceptance and healing that the world simply cannot. Let us loudly proclaim this week that we are a people of extravagant love, who seek justice, who show unyielding compassion and walk together in the example of Jesus, even when it scares us. Let us wave our palm branches. Let us lay down our coats and cry out, save us to those who have the power to affect change in our society, no matter what we perceive those consequences may be. And let us share Jesus' liberating message with all that we meet, whether in action or with words. But let us not be afraid. Let us announce, blessed are we and blessed are you who come in the name of Jesus, the Messiah. Let us enter into this time of Holy Week with a song of truth on our lips, because this is just the beginning, beloveds. There is still so much more to come. Hosanna. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen.